0: Lesson 6 for August 1 through to 7 Esther and Mordecai. Sabbath Afternoon, August 1. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're opening your word this week to look at a famous story from the Old Testament. The story of Esther and her relationship with Mordecai and the things that happened there that spread the knowledge of you to just so many people. And as we read this story, we pray that we may find ways that we ourselves can share the message of your love and your greatness and your soon coming with people that we meet. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time... Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Let's read that again, Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther was used to carry a high-level, specialised mission within the dangerous political heart of the Persian Empire. Her mission involved her in a series of striking contrasts. An orphaned female member of a despised ethnic and religious minority, living in the superpower of her day, she became the wife of the Persian king. This was no rags-to-riches fairy tale. Rather, she was lifted from obscurity and groomed to carry out a highly specialised mission. It required of her the risky strategy of working at first undercover. Later, she was to make a perilous full disclosure of her ethnicity and faith. Supported by her cousin and foster father, Mordecai, Her daring witness at the intrigue-ridden court of the Persian Empire saved her people, reversed their low social status, and made them empire-wide objects of admiration. No doubt, as a result of her faithfulness, knowledge of the true God became more widespread among their heathen captors. Though not your typical missionary story, the narrative of Esther and Mordecai does present some interesting principles that can help us to understand what it means to witness in peculiar circumstances. Sunday, August 2, Esther in Persia. Question, read Esther, chapter 1, verses 2, right through to 20. What is happening here? What things about this story are hard to understand from our perspective today? As you read, remember that a lot of details are not presented. Beginning at verse 1... In chapter 1 of the book of Esther. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Susan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and media, the nobles, and the princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendour of his excellent majesty for many days, one hundred and eighty days in all. And, when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan the citadel, from the great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars, and the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abathah. Zetha and Carcas, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown, in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, brought by his eunuchs, therefore the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew law and justice, those closest to him being Karshina, Setha, Admartha, Tarshish, Meres, Masina, and Memekan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom, What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law, because she does not obey the command of Ahesuerus brought to her by the eunuchs? And Memican answered before the king and the princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahesuerus. For the queen's behaviour will become known to all women, so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes, when they report, King Ahesuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. This very day the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behaviour of the queen. Thus there will be excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him, and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it will not be altered, that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree which he will make is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, all wives will honour their husbands, both great and small. The week-long banquet that King Ahasuerus gave for his nobles and officials seems extravagant, even for someone at the pinnacle of political power, far beyond what most Christians would find acceptable. The unrestricted consumption of alcohol in verses 7 and 8 was unusual, because drinking during ancient formal feasts was usually controlled by convention and ritual. In this case it clouded the king's judgment to the point that he ordered his wife Vashti to provide entertainment for the king's drunken all-male gathering. This was far beneath her dignity as a married woman and as a member of the royal family. Whatever her response, she faced the dilemma of losing status, and her courageous choice to retain self-esteem in the face of an autocratic ruler's base desires prepares the reader to understand the power for good that a principled woman could exert, even in a male-dominated royal court. Meanwhile, though, we have to deal with the actions of Esther. Esther chapter 2 verse 3 gives the impression that these women were not volunteers. The king issued the decree, and so Esther had to come. Had she refused, who knows the outcome? Question Read first Corinthians chapter nine verses nineteen to twenty three. In what ways can we apply the principles seen in these verses to what happened with Esther? Or do they apply? Let's read first Corinthians chapter nine verses nineteen. To 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. If I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. And so to finish today. So far in the story, the real heroine is Vashti, who then disappears from history. Her modesty and stand-on principle opened the way for Esther. In some cases, though, principled stands don't always lead to an obvious good. In the end, why should we take principled stands even if we don't know the outcome of our actions? Monday, August 3, Esther in the court of the king. Question. Read Esther, chapter 2, verses 10 and 20. What situations might arise where nationality or religious affiliation should be hidden, at least for a time? Esther, chapter 2, verse 10. Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. And verse 20. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. Another question. Read John chapter 4 verses 1 to 20. The story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Why did Jesus tell her so openly that he was the Messiah, when among his own people he was not so forthcoming? How does this account perhaps help us to understand Mordecai's words to Esther? Beginning at John chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptised more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Syca, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, "'Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock?' Jesus answered and said to her, "'Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst.' But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Twice Mordecai charged Esther not to reveal her nationality and family background. This has troubled some commentators who have questioned the need for this attitude of concealment, especially during a time when the Jewish people were not threatened. Could she not have been a witness about her god to these pagans if she were open about who she was and the god she worshipped? Or could it be argued that to be a Jew lacked credibility at the Persian court and that revealing her ethnicity would have hindered her in gaining access to the king when she pleaded for her people? It appears that even before the threat occurred, Mordecai had warned Esther not to reveal her identity. The fact is that the Bible does not tell us the reason for his words to her. However, as we can see from the example of Jesus, one does not have to reveal everything at once in every circumstance. Prudence is a virtue. Meanwhile, why did Jesus speak so openly to the woman at the well and not to his own people? Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 190, Christ was far more reserved when he spoke to them. That which had been withheld from the Jews, and which the disciples were afterward enjoined to keep secret, was revealed to her. Jesus saw that she would make use of her knowledge in bringing others to share his grace. And so to finish today. Have you ever been in a situation in which you deemed it prudent not to say too much about your faith or your beliefs? What reasons did you have? As you look back now, what might you have done differently, if anything? Tuesday, August 4th, for such a time as this. In Esther chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, the plot of the story starts to unfold. Let's read it, beginning at verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hammedatha, the Agagite, and advanced him, and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened, when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. Mordecai, a Jew, following the commandment against idolatry, refused to bow down to Haman, a mere man. Furious, Haman sought a way to avenge himself for what he took as a slight. Mordecai, by his actions, in a way was witnessing among these pagans about the true God. Question. What excuse did Haman use to try to rid the empire of the Jews? What does this tell us about how easy it is to let cultural differences blind us to the humanity of all people? Let's first of all look at Esther, chapter 3 verses 8 to 13. Then Haman said to king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work, to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamandatha the Agagite, the, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded. To the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of king Ahasuerus it was written, and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Also we're told to look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. As Haman's plot was made known, Mordecai expressed his grief visibly, using one of the Jewish religious rituals mentioned in the book of Esther. In chapter 4, verse 1, it reads, He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, wailing loudly, and bitterly. In the meantime, Esther prepared to go before the king. She would become a Jewish breaker of royal Persian law by heroically entering the king's presence without invitation, as part of a plan to foil Haman's plot. The king admitted her and accepted her invitation to dine. Esther now takes the lead in the drama faced by the Jewish exiles across all of Persia. In this story, Esther shows self-denial and heroism, tact and courage. From the Seventh-day Venice Bible Commentary, Volume 3, page 1140, we read, A study of women's work in connection with the cause of God in Old Testament times will teach us lessons that will enable us to meet emergencies in the work today. We may not be brought into such a critical and prominent place as were the people of God in the time of Esther, but often converted women can act an important part in more humble positions. And so to finish today, read Esther chapter 4 verse 14, Mordecai's famous words to Esther, Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? In what ways might the principle behind these words apply to you right now? Wednesday, August 5, Mordecai and Haman question. According to Esther chapter 5 right through to chapter 8, how was Esther able to save her people? The accounts of Esther's two banquets bring the story to its crisis point. They also record the great reversal of the plotted ethnic extermination. On the way, the story exposes the difference between true honour and self-honour, and it records the punishment of the villain these court intrigues had far-reaching consequences. They give us a glimpse into the -the behind-the-scenes working of an absolute monarch and his court. Esther and Mordecai used their positions, their knowledge of the culture in which they lived, and their faith in God's covenant promises to his people to bring about their deliverance. Meanwhile, Despite his quiet life of service, Mordecai let his faith be known, if through no other means than his refusal to bow down before Haman. People noticed, and they admonished him, but he refused to compromise his faith, as we read in Esther chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Then the king's servants, who were within the king's gate, said to Mordecai, "'Why do you transgress the king's command?' Now it happened, when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. But Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. This surely was a witness to others. Question. Read Esther, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. What does this tell us about Mordecai? What lessons could we draw about how God's people can function, even witness, in foreign lands? Esther chapter 6 beginning at verse 1. That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, What honour or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Though Mordecai obviously was following the Lord, Nevertheless, he showed allegiance and loyalty to the sovereign of the nation in which he lived. While refusing to bow down before a man, he still was a good citizen, in that he exposed the plot against the king. Though we can't read too much into the fact that he hadn't been honoured for this act, very possibly he did it and then just went on his way, not expecting any reward. In time, though, as the story shows, his good deed was more than rewarded. His example here is perhaps best expressed by these words in Matthew 22, verse 21. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Thursday, August 6, when some Gentiles became Jews. Question. Read Esther chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Focus specifically on verse 17. How can we understand this in terms of outreach and witness? Let's begin Esther chapter 8 and at verse 1. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king, and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favour in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the son of Hamandetha the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews, who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people, or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name, and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So, the king's scribes were called at that time, in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the twenty-third day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded, to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, in every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahesuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. By these letters the king permitted the Jews, who were in every city, to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions, on one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people, so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree went, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. No question. The book of Esther is not a typical story about outreach and witness, and yet we can see something like this scenario happening here toward the end. As a result of the king's edict on behalf of the Jews, as it says in verse 17, many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Some commentators argue that theirs could not have been a true conversion experience, since fear and anxiety should have no place in proselytizing. While that's true, who knows in the longer run how these people, whatever their motives at first, might have responded to the working of the Holy Spirit, especially after seeing great differences between their beliefs and the belief and worship of the one true God question. Read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through to 20. How might the concepts taught here come into play with these people, especially in the context of this story? Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, "'For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men.' who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are with excuse. In the original decrees against the Jews, not only were the Jews to be killed, but the ones to do it, were told that they should plunder their possessions in Esther 3.13. Also, when the Jews were given permission to kill their enemies, they too were told that they could plunder the possession of their enemies in Esther 8 verse 11. However, three times in the book of Esther, in chapter 9 verses 10, 15 and 16, it specifically says that the Jews did not lay a hand on the plunder. Though the texts don't say why, The fact that it was mentioned three times shows the emphasis that was placed on this act. Most likely, they refrained because they wanted it known that they were acting out of self-defence and not greed. And so to finish today. How can we make sure that in our outreach and witness to others, we don't do anything that would cause people to question our motives? Why is this so important? Friday, August 7. From the book Prophets and Kings, page 605, we read The decree that will finally go forth against the remnant people of God will be very similar to that issued by Ahasuerus against the Jews. Today, the enemies of the true church see in the little company keeping the Sabbath commandment a Mordecai at the gate. The reverence of God's people for his law is a constant rebuke to those who have cast off the fear of the Lord and are trampling on his Sabbath. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. What parallel can we draw between the edict that was brought against the Jews and what will happen in the last days as the issue of the mark of the beast comes to its forefront? Question 2. Both ancient Jews and Christians disputed the right of the Book of Esther to have a place in the Old Testament canon. It did not appear in the Old Testament used by the community that produced the Dead Sea Scrolls, nor in the Old Testament of the churches of ancient Turkey and Syria. The name of God does not appear in the Book of Esther, while there are about 190 references to the heathen king. There are no references to sacrifice, temple, or worship, although fasting and prayer are mentioned. Finally, the covenant emphasis on forgiveness and mercy is not mentioned, and yet the Lord saw fit to include it in the canon. Why? What powerful spiritual lesson can we take from it about how God can work in our lives for good, even amid what appear to be very difficult circumstances? End question three. Dwell more on the idea of times during which missionaries and others during outreach do not openly talk about their identity and work. What are some valid reasons, if any, for us to do that, especially in the context of mission? Sometimes, for instance, missionaries are very careful not to say who they are, especially in countries that are hostile to Christian witness. If we are impressed not to reveal right away who we are... How can we do it in a way that is not being dishonest or deceitful? Inside Story Our mission story this week is part two of A Gift from the River. Don felt a fervent desire to know the truth. He decided to mark with a red pencil everything he found in the Bible and in the Bhagavad Gita that was good and helpful. Soon he realized that he was marking nearly everything in the Bible. Don decided that one day he would be a Christian, though he had no idea how or when that would happen. He entered college and had little time to read, but his desire to know God never left him. When he returned home after college, he met an old friend in the marketplace. "'I've become a Christian,' his friend told him. Don was thrilled. He told him about finding the Bible in the river and then said, "'Tell me, how can I become a Christian?' His friend's face lit up and he hugged Donahshaw. Then he told him that in a city about 30 miles or 45 kilometres away, there was a church where Donahshaw could learn how to become a Christian. Early Saturday morning, Donahshaw boarded a bus to the town where the church was located. He found the house church and went in. Everyone sat with their eyes closed. Donahshaw didn't realise they were praying. He looked at them. They looked like normal people, he thought. When they opened their eyes, they were surprised to see Donishaw standing near the door. They welcomed him and invited him to join them. Donishaw attended the church as often as he could, but he couldn't go every week because the bus fare was expensive. But he felt great joy in what he was learning and began telling his friends about it. Some wanted to visit the church too, so the little group agreed to take turns going, sharing the expense of the bus fare. Then those who had gone could teach the others what they had learned. For a year, Donashaw and his friends attended church this way. Then Donashaw told the pastor that he wanted to be baptised. The pastor was happy to arrange the baptism, but apologised because the little church had no baptistry. We'll have to baptize you in the Chengi River, the pastor said. That's wonderful, Donishaw responded. The same river that brought me the Bible will seal my covenant with God. Donishaw and 24 others were baptized in the river where his quest for God had begun. Among those other 24 were seven friends who Donishaw had invited to learn about Christ. They are the first Christians among Tripura people. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.